even the reciprocal of that statement. There's not anyone here today that I'm not thankful that you're here. Uh, there's no one here that I wish was not here. Everybody's welcome here today at Grace Church, and I thank you all for being here very, very much. Thank the Lord. I listened carefully to uh, Brother Dave when he announced that um, in our recent blood drive, how that uh, the, I believe it was the 12 units of blood that was given saved 36 lives. I think of a time uh, about 2,000 years ago when far less blood than that was given but it has the potential of saving the world a million times over. Thank the Lord for His blood today. Thank God for the blood. And uh, we'll talk to you a little bit more about that in just a moment. And, um, but I do want to say a great big thank you to our Good Samaritans. We had a situation last Sunday, and probably 90% of the church didn't even know it. And, uh, but they took care of it and uh, assisted until... Uh, uh, paramedics arrived and I want to applaud Sister Cindy and our Good Samaritan staff for doing such an amazing job last Sunday. Let's give them some appreciation for their help last Sunday. We're continuing to work and tweak uh, the Good Samaritan group. I think they've added uh, another person or two to that list that can help us in uh, their profession and training has gone so far to make that possible, and I appreciate people willing to bring their secular expertise to the church. Appreciate that deeply. And uh, we're continuing to tweak, but they're doing a great, great job, and I appreciate their help so very much. And uh, we're also continuing to tweak and enhance even our security measures here, and uh, we'll be making some announcements about that in the very near future. So I uh, appreciate all the folks that help make Grace Church what it is, and uh, I appreciate our, our amazing worship team, um, ushering staff, our hospitality folks out in the lobby, appreciate my ministry team, they're amazing, uh, everybody, uh, media booth in the back, production booth, you folks do an amazing job, and thank y'all so very much, and I am happy to say that as a part of our worship experience this morning, they were worshiping too. In the midst of changing the words on the screens and the lights and all that, hands are in the air, they're clapping, they're worshiping God, and I thank God for that as well. Thank the Lord. Well, are you folks celebrating? You still celebrating? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. And uh, uh, Jonathan Adams, I see you in the congregation today. That's been a long time since I've seen that on a Sunday morning. Thank you, Brad, for making that possible. Absolutely. I just looked back there, and wow, uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, but we're still celebrating. And man, Wednesday night, I know there was a handful of people that said, well, it's a missionary service, and I'm tired, and all that. You have no clue what you missed. You don't miss church at Grace Church. You just don't miss church. You don't. I, you just don't miss. I, if you do... If you do, there were people here Wednesday night that were healed of things that were just, just absolutely amazing, and we're going to keep hearing things that, that happened, and we had somebody receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the very first time this past Wednesday night, and I thank God for that. Thank the Lord. So 
when you get home and you're tired and, you know, your boss fussed at you and all that kind of, don't take it out on Jesus. Don't show up at work the next day if you're going to take it out on somebody. Show up at church, though. You know, whatever you do at work is your business, but you, 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 you don't, don't write services off and say, well, you know, pastor's preaching today. It ain't a big deal. And Come on out. You, you might be surprised. God may surprise you in your moments of fatigue and unbelief. He showed up on the disciples when they didn't believe it. So, uh, yes, he did. I want to say, Kelton, great to see you here today and so thankful God has his hand on your life. So very thankful today. Amen. Let's turn to the Word of God. Great to see everybody live stream, uh, Facebook Live. Great to see, uh, great to have you folks. I wish I could see you. Maybe one day we will. Right here. That's right. Even if you live somewhere in Montana, it'd be worth the drive. Come on down here and visit with us one Sunday. Amen. Thank the Lord. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. What a statement. All of them. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Blotting them out. Which was contrary to us. Took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. Triumphing over them in it. I want to speak to you for a little while today, and I, I'm, I've thought through the title of this message, and, and I don't want you to take it the wrong way. I don't want God to take it the wrong way. But I'd like to preach to you for a little while today, just simply celebrate the nails. Celebrate the nails. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for standing. You've stood a long time. You may be seated. Thank you so much. I dare say that probably every person in this room has had some encounter with a nail. I know there's people here today that's had an encounter with fingernail clippers during church, which is inappropriate. It's not a sin, I don't imagine, but it is inappropriate. We had somebody attend a Grace Church years and years ago that took his shoe and sock off and pulled his foot up on the edge of the pew and clipped his toenails during church. That is a true statement. And left the mess on the floor for someone else to come by and clean. Have I got everybody's attention right now? <clears throat> it's a true story. It happened at our church. That's not gossip and hearsay. Have witnesses, two or three witnesses, and then people that could hear it. And there's a difference between the clipping of a fingernail and a toenail. A toenail clipper has a deeper, bassy, baritone because they're thick and crusty. Say, <clears throat> so you don't miss Grace Church. You never know what's going to happen around here, right? Okay, let's put on the serious face. Everybody here today has had some encounter with a nail. I remember as a young boy stepping on a nail, and it went through the sole of my shoe into my foot. 
I'll never forget that day. You ever stepped on a nail? Cody, Chrissy, y'all never stepped on a nail? We'll raise your hand when you ask a question if you stepped okay. <laughs> it was during one of those encounters that boys often find themselves being involved in while they're building forts. Even now I can remember how bad the pain was and the wound that that old rusty nail caused to the bottom of my foot. But when we think of nails, the majority of the time we think of construction, something being built to last. Nails hold things together. They stabilize a structure. Stephen Ambrose wrote a book in 2000 entitled Nothing Like It in the World. It is the story of the Transcontinental Railroad that was built from 1863 through 1869. In that book, he describes what happened in building of the rails that led west. There were a series of wagons that were pulled by horses. One wagon would carry about 40 nails. Another would be filled with the proper number of spikes and railroad ties. And from that wagon, four men would grasp the rail of the, for the railroad and anchor it into place and at the command of down, they would drop the rail into its place. Every 30 seconds, there came that brave down, down, down from the other side of the track. The chief spiker was ready. The gauger stooped and measured. The sledges rang out. Two nail, two rails, excuse me, every 30 seconds. One on each side, four rails a minute. As the rails went down, they were gauged by a measuring rod of exactly 48 and a half inches wide. When the wagon was emptied in about 10 minutes' time, covering a little over 80 feet further down the line, another horse-drawn wagon was immediately settled into place to follow the same suit. There were 30 men driving in the spikes on the outside and on the inside. With three strokes of the sledgehammer, three strokes of the sledgehammer per spike, ten spikes to the rail, 400 rails to the mile, and it was 1,800 miles across Nebraska and into San Francisco on the Union Pacific Rail. 21 million times these sledgehammers had to be swung. The pace of the rails going down was as fast as a man could walk at a normal pace. In the end, when the finishing touches had been placed on the track, an average of nine to 10,000 spikes had been placed in the rails per mile. But the spikes that helped wield the foundation of the railroad tracks pale in comparison to only three spikes that were used a little less than 2,000 years ago. Again, Paul said, And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting 
of ordinances that was against you and was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Paul left us with those words. It is those words that impart to us the hope and power of Calvary and the price that Jesus paid for our sins at Calvary. The bond that was written against us. The bells, the bail bondsman, if you will, that would write down everything that we ever did, every sin we ever committed. The bond that was written against us had to be paid. It was something that every man owed. And if not paid him, he would be thrown into debtor's prison and could possibly spend the rest of his entire life in prison. To understand this concept is to understand the amazing mercy of God. The substance of ancient documents was written either on papyrus, which was made from bulrush, or it was written on vellum, which was made from the skin of animals. Both were fairly expensive and certainly not to be wasted. Listen carefully. Ancient ink had no acid in it. It merely lay on the surface of the writing surface. It did not bite into the material as it does modern links. Sometimes a scribe, to save paper, used papyrus or vellum that had already been written on because you could take it with a wet cloth and literally wipe the surface clean. And because ink had no acid in it at that time, there was no sign that anything had ever been written on that piece of paper. I want you to understand when Paul wrote those words, he knew what he was talking about. It wasn't hard to erase the ink back in those days. And when you erased the ink, there was no evidence that it was ever there to begin with. When Jesus went to the cross, and when you ask Him to forgive your sin, He wipes it clean as though nothing had ever been there in the beginning. I think we need to celebrate the nails here today. Hallelujah to God. I'm thankful for that. I said I'm thankful for that. Banished at Calvary was the record of our sins with the nails of Calvary. In the ancient world, crucifixion was considered the most severe form of capital punishment. In order of severity, decapitation, believe it or not, was the least painful and reserved for citizens of rank. Somewhere in the middle came being burned alive. But lastly comes crucifixion, which was reserved for slaves and criminals. The rulers of the provinces favored crucifixion because of the public statement that it made. A Roman orator named Quintilian wrote, Whenever we crucify the guilty, the most crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see it and be moved by this fear. 
The Romans did not invent death by crucifixions. Actually, uh, the Persians, the Medes, uh, the Carthaginians, the Assyrians, the Indians all practiced it in various forms. To trace it back, one finds that the bodies of the defeated in war were displayed in this manner. As a warning to others who might be tempted to rebel, they impaled the conquered on poles or stakes. One of the early Greek words indicates that the early crosses were actually stakes and the victims were impaled by it. Crucifixion was death by exhaustion. Every minute consumed with a painful necessity of struggling to suck in another breath. David's cry from the Psalms rings out to us, Save me, O God, from the waters that are coming to my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. He is writing about the grueling process of crucifixion by death. The legacy of death by crucifixion is still with us in the word excruciating, which literally means out of the cross. To extend the life and also the torment, the executioners would take care not to damage the criminal's vital organs. If they performed everything properly, he could hang for as long as nine days before death finally came. If there's anything to be thankful for in the crucifixion of Christ, and I say this respectfully, the Jews had a stipulation in their law that a prisoner could not live until the next day. So they would break the legs between the bone and the ankle. They would break those bones of those crucified if they were not dead after a certain time. So they would be dead before the next day would be brought forth. With Jesus, they did not have to break his legs. But the point of breaking the legs is you can't pull yourself up anymore to catch a breath. And you literally suffocate in that God-awful torment. So the mock trials are now over. What little that Pilate was willing to allow Jesus to be set free had been done. For the sake of the record, and even perhaps political correctness, Pilate symbolically washes his hands of the whole affair, and that he did literally. It appears that he was grasping at a simple procedure to relieve him of this responsibility. Four soldiers then take Jesus with the intent of carrying out the execution. It's going to be a long walk for the condemned man. Previously in the garden, there had been close to 600 soldiers that had gathered to capture Jesus. But now Pilate sees little chance of a riot. The only supporters of Jesus now to appear to be a few weeping women. So two soldiers take him, lift the 40-pound cross beam onto his shoulders. He's going to be forced to carry his own cross to the place of death. Around his neck hangs a piece of wood coated with white chalk on this board painted in black letters is the crime 
which Jesus is charged with committing, dressed and cast off purple, crowned with thorns, and carrying the label, King of the Jews, around his neck. He is hustled through a screaming, deafening crowd, step by excruciating step. Jesus stumbles out of the praetorium and down the twisted streets of Jerusalem. How far does he stagger before he falls down and lies bruised and motionless under the beam? We don't really know. Some onlookers onlookers turn their eyes from this agony. Some watch him with disinterest as they continue to peddle their wares in the marketplace. Others are waiting for the mob to thin so they can move on through Jerusalem. Some are cursing Jesus. Some are laughing at Jesus. One way or another, the crowd becomes a key element in the whole process. Either cheering or cursing, they participate as he struggles to rise and take another step only to stumble past them, perhaps falling to his face again. But it's not long before he does fall again. And I will ask you today, what makes him stumble? Is it the weight of the crossbeam that's been added to his badly beaten back? Is it the loss of blood that had come from the scourging? Is it the insurmountable burden of the whole world's sin and rebellion laid upon him? Is it the weight of all of our past sorrows that presses down on him? I submit to you today that if you said yes to all of the questions I just asked, then you're probably right. It's all of those things. And at last the weight grinds him into the ground and stops the entire procession. As Jesus lies expended on the ground, the soldier summons Simon of Serene from the crowd. At Golgotha, the soldiers take the crossbeam from Simon's soldiers' shoulders and place it at the foot of an upright timber that's been placed in the ground. The pole is one of three on top of Mount Calvary. The mob forms a tight, expectant circle around the site of execution. Some suddenly fall silent as they realize that they are indeed going to witness a real crucifixion. Perhaps in silence, they begin to hear the wailing again of the weeping women that's a part of the crowd. Jesus is stripped of his garments, and they are divided among the four soldiers. The more expensive robe is to be saved for later as they gamble for it at Golgotha. Now three soldiers stretch Jesus out on the crossbeam, while the others pick up a long iron spike. The nail is a tapered shaft from from seven, five to seven inches long and about three-eighths of an inch in diameter. The fourth soldier swings the mallet high. The women turn away. The mallet falls and drives the nail through the flesh of Jesus and into the wood of the beam. The nail is forced between the two bones, the ulna and the radius just above the wrist. If it were placed only in the hands, 
the sheer weight of the body could fall the man, could cause the man to fall from the cross, ripping his hand in half as his weight bears down on it. The nail comes dangerously close to the arteries in the hand, perhaps even severing them. And the blood of Christ begins to fall to the earth. Seconds later, the other arm follows, and then the feet are overlapped, and a single nail is forced and hammered into the feet of Christ, through His feet, and into the wooden stake behind Him. The soldiers hoist up the beam and drop it into place, as it is through that act of nailing that the nails cancel out our debt. It is through that act of nailing that the nails cancel out our debt of sin. I want to remind all of us here today, the hand of God is a mighty hand. It is the hand that formed Adam out of the clay. It is the hand that wrote the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. With a wave of his hand, the Tower of Babel was thwarted and the Red Sea parted. From his hand flew locusts that plagued Egypt and the ravens that fed Elijah. It is these hands that steal the sea. These hands mixed mud and daubed it on the blind eyes that would eventually see. These hands, these hands of power cleansed the temple. It is these hands that beckoned Lazarus from the dead. It is these hands that brought healing to the lepers. It is these hands that reattached Malchus' ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. Their hands of inspiration that taught the Sermon on the Mount. Their hands of dedication that served the fish and the loaves. It was those hands that blessed the small children. Their hands of power. Their hands of hope. And they are crucified hands. Their hands that took nails. Their hands that took nails. And it was between the hands that Paul wrote, Brother James. It was between the hands and the wood is a long list of things about all of us. Things that we've all done. Nothing was forgotten. Nothing is excluded. There was no mercy from the person who penned the list of all of our transgression. They were truly judgmental to the core. The devil wanted nothing more than for all of man to fall under the displeasing, unbelieving judgment of God and be destroyed from this planet because it doesn't matter if you've committed one sin or a million. You're nonetheless a sinner. For David said, we're all born in sin and we're shapen in iniquity. But when Jesus received those nails. The blood 
fell on our list of sin and transgression and iniquity and cleansed it all as though it had never existed. I've come today to celebrate the nails. I've come today to celebrate the nails. The nails will forgive homosexuality. The nails will forgive adultery. The nails forgive fornication. The nails forgive pride and rebellion. The nails forgive lying and cheating and stealing. The nails forgive hypocrisy. The nails forgive everything. The nails forgive everything because of the nail. Because of the nail. The blood ran and the blood washes away our sin. Everybody clap your hands today. The nails, the nails eradicate bad decisions that we've made over the years. The nails do away with bad decisions. The nails do away with wasted prodigal years. We continue to pray for Brother Phil Elwood in the hospital today. But I'll never forget when that man came to Grace Church several years ago. Brother Holland was preaching. I'll never forget it. He had run from God, had been backslidden 20 plus years. I'm even thinking it might be even more than that. It might be 30 plus years. But I watched that sweet man walk down this center aisle. And met Brother Holland in about the second row. And he raised his hands and God forgive me. And just like that, God filled him up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I celebrate the nails. And I want to make a statement real quick to us prim and proper Pentecostals. Jesus made the statement in his earthly ministries, and it bears down on me sometimes. Sister Yvonne, he said one time that he who loves the most is the one that's been forgiven the most. And I haven't come today to sit down with anybody and say, well, let's look at your list, Brother Greg, and we'll look at my list and see which one of us was the most horrible. And then if we can figure out who is the most horrible between us, then we can figure out who loves Jesus the most. I'm not here to do that. I'm not, I don't care about what people have done in their past. But what I do care about is when people walk down here and say, Father, forgive me. He does. Just that fast. and Just that easy. Who was the Old Testament writer, Sister Sarah, that said his mercies are new every day? I get worried, and I get aggravated at myself sometimes, but I, I get tired of asking God every day, to, would you just forgive me one more time? Would you just be an idiot, man?
just being stupid. Just forgive me, God. And I'm always reminded of that little scripture that's nestled in the Word of God. It said, His mercies are new every day. So when I ask Him tomorrow, as I did today, to God forgive me. Help me to be pure. I want to be pure with my family, with our church, especially this pulpit. Help me right with God. If, don't let me ever walk in this pulpit not right with God. I'm reminded that he don't re- remember me asking him to forgive me yesterday. He don't remember that. He don't remember my sin of yesterday. And that's why today I celebrate the nails. Why would he do something like that? Why would Jesus do something like that? Let me come back to that point in just a minute. And here's where I'm, I'm trying to be careful with this title, and this is what I mean. If we were out on the street and somebody pulled a gun on me and Brother Wheeler was just so happened to stand there and somebody's trying to shoot at me, he jumped in the middle and they shot him. I'm not going to stand there and just jump up and down and have a party because he saved my life. I'm going to have a different feeling. That's going to be a celebration that I'm going to conduct in a different way. Does everybody understand that? We're not going to have a party up here one Saturday night and just, you know, load the building up with party graffiti, which is what all that represents. And, you know, we're not going to blast trumpets and all that. I'm going to have a different approach to Brother Wheeler than as though we were celebrating his birthday party. We'll come back to that in a minute. So why would Jesus do what he did? What would cause a brother Wheeler to walk in front of and take a bullet for somebody? What would cause someone to do that? In Jesus' case, he knew that our sin, undealt with, would kill us. Death came into the world, did it not? By the sin of one man, Adam. So it'll kill you. When lust is conceived, James said, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth. So he knew that it would kill us. So he formulated a plan. If I can get somebody to hate me enough to nail me to a cross, it's a mind-boggling plan because it's hard to hate Jesus, I think. Something that has to click in your brain that's really demented to hate Jesus the way they did. But they did it. And the plan worked. Even while he was hanging on the cross before you judge his plan, Jesus said, without anyone asking, and I believe it included all the Romans, it included the Pharisees, it included the Sadducees, the high priests, it included everybody. He said, Father, 
Forgive them! And they didn't even ask. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. But today I celebrate the fact that Jesus allowed them to do it. So he went to a cross. He went to the cross. So if you'll stand with me this morning, that same hand, the same hand that stilled the seas steals your guilt and it calms your fear. The hand is the hand of God working, convicting, pleading. The songwriter said in trying to pen the words of Scripture, said he was wounded for our transgressions, was bruised for our iniquities. Surely he bore all our sorrows, and by his stripes we're healed. So today I'm asking somebody, I'm asking everybody, to truly turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. God wants you to celebrate the nails. But this is what I mean today. If Brother Wheeler had taken a bullet for me, I wouldn't throw a party. But I would approach him, and this is the way I approach Jesus on this subject. As the writer of the song, How Great Thou Art, penned such amazing words in that song, he said, When I, in awesome wonder, that's the way I celebrate the nails. I am in awe of him for doing that. For me. The songwriter said. Then I shall bow. In humble. Adoration. Thank you. For taking a bullet for me. This is the way. I want to celebrate. Thank you. For saving my life. Do y'all get my point? I couldn't leave this message out, Brian. When you talk about celebrate, we think of party. We think of exaltation. We think of, let's get down on and have a great time. But there's another way that I can celebrate. Wendy, I can walk down here and say, thank you for taking those nails. Because you saved my life when you did that. And of all the stuff I've ever done, you just wiped the paper clean. Sandy, do you understand? Jonathan, do you understand? Awesome wonder. And I will bow in humble adoration. So today... I'm going to ask everybody in the building as they begin to sing something appropriate. I want you to come down here and I want you to celebrate the nails.
you can bring your sin with you. You can bring your fear and anxiety with you. You can bring your broken heart and broken spirit with you. You can bring your past with you. You can bring your failures with you. Because those nails are still relevant. They still work. He's still faithful and just to forgive them that ask Him. And when you do that, it's okay to lift up your hands and say, My God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the things You've done for me, when I think about Calvary, when I think about the work of the cross, I can celebrate, I can celebrate, I can celebrate humbly and full of adoration, y'all sing. Somebody lift up the Lord today in your prayer and praise. Lift Him up today. Hallelujah. As they sing today, would you lift your hands and your face toward heaven and celebrate the nails. You have been forgiven. And you can be forgiven because of those nails. It don't matter how many times you've asked. It don't matter how many times you've come. It don't matter how many times you've said it. You can still be forgiven just by simply, sincerely asking. I'm trying to help somebody here today. Jesus said, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I'm going to ask somebody to celebrate right now. To celebrate freedom from sin. To celebrate freedom from the burden of sin. Somebody reach out to the Lord today. All across the building, reach out to Him. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Celebrate. Let the tears run. Let the praise come out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for taking away my past. Thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you, Lord, for healing my home and my marriage. Thank you for healing my mind. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. 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 Go ahead, somebody. Let the Lord have His way. You can leave here rejoicing today because God has set you free. Hallelujah. Somebody let him have his way. Somebody let him have his way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Lord here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's married couples here today that can celebrate that you're still married. And it's because of Jesus and what He did on the cross. 
There's kids today that can celebrate because God still has his hand on you. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. This is personal between you and God. It's personal between you and Jesus. Let him have his way. It's awesome. Sing it. Sing it. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. 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 There's people here today that have children because of the work of the cross. There's people here today that has a family because of the work of the cross. Somebody let him have his way. Somebody let him have his way. It's time to celebrate the nails. It's time to celebrate the nails. Hallelujah. 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 You can celebrate deliverance. You can celebrate deliverance. You can celebrate acceptance. You can celebrate being free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 